Hi, welcome to Tell Me. My guest today is Emily Ratajkowski. Emily is a model, clothing designer, a mother, and an author. Emily's written a book called My Body. She's been an author for a while, actually. She's written several essays, and I think they've made their way into the book. I'm really a fan of Emrata as a person and her courage to write about the nuanced issues that she's faced in her career as a model and her existence as a woman. We had a great conversation, and I hope you enjoy. Hi, Em. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Ooh, girl. It's been a week. You're in New York? I am. I'm in New York. I just got back from Europe. Did you go to shows? Did you do shows? You worked? Yes, I did shows and I also worked some contract days, which is great. And I brought the baby, which made it really actually super enjoyable. So, Of course, yeah, to visit all yeah. those places with him. He's a little boy, right? Yeah, he's almost seven months old now. It's insane. It's crazy how fast it goes, right? Uh, I mean, everyone told me that, but now that he's crawling and has two teeth, I really am starting to understand what they meant, you know, because the first couple of months, you're like, okay, yeah, like he's he's still breathing and like he's growing. <laughs> but then it's like all of a sudden, you know, he just becomes a person overnight. I feel insane levels of protectiveness. Like I would murder someone for him. So yeah, I will say, so my son is going to turn five next week and I have another daughter who's seven and another daughter who's 12. And she's such an avid reader. I didn't usually take the time to read. Mm -hmm. And now I feel like I really need to keep up with her. Cool. That's fun. Yeah. So she's inspiring me in different ways. That's what they're supposed to do, right? That's what kids do for their parents, I feel like. It's so true. Then wait till they go to school, right? And then when he's at school and like something happens at school, you're just going to be like, oh my God. Oh my God. I have to just calm down, you know? Yeah. Well, talk about lack of control. I mean, I feel like as a mother, you like grow this thing inside you. You feel so responsible because it's part of your body, essentially. And then you give birth to them. And slowly and slowly, they become less dependent on you. You know, you breastfeed and then they're done with breastfeeding. And then they start to crawl and then they start to walk. And you just sort of have to slowly accept that they're their own person and they need you less and less. And there's less you can do to protect them. And you just sort of have to hope that you've taught them how to take care of themselves. And that's I don't know. I'm, you know, again, I have a seven month old, so I'm a ways away from thinking about some of these things, but it feels like very right there. Like I can imagine thinking about this moment when he's 15 and it will feel like no time has passed. You know, what's incredible about having kids is you do all this work, right? You do teach them how to survive in the world. You teach them these lessons. And when they're young, you don't really think any of it is sinking in and you just sort of... Mm -hmm feel like they're not hearing anything I'm saying and I don't know why I'm saying any of this or doing any of this. And then they spit it back to you, mm -hmm. you know, and you're like, oh, they were listening. It did sink in. They're really listening, right? Like they're listening so much. Yeah. When they get older, you start seeing all of the things you put into them and then it feels really rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. I'm both excited and scared <laughs> because, you know, you want to teach them all the right things. For sure. And then you can't do everything right. You know, you can teach them something and then say, I know I said this, but guess what? Oh, yeah. I've been reading your essays and your articles for a long time. You know, it's funny because when I saw you this summer, I was so excited to see you because I have been reading the essays that you've been writing. And I didn't even know that you, you know, were working on a book. 
And then when I called my producers here, I said, you know, I really want to talk to Emrata. I find her so interesting. And then we later found out that, oh, she has a book coming up in November and thought, oh, wow, of course. Well, that makes so much sense. Congratulations on the book, by the way. Thank you so much. Was it terrifying writing it? No, it's terrifying publishing it. Yeah. It was great writing it. It was enjoyable writing it. It was a lot of work, but it was cathartic and I like hard work. Publishing it is a whole other beast. For sure. But you've been writing for a while and it's such a fantastic transition for you to write about these experiences. I just read, there's a book called Girlhood. Oh, Melissa Fabos. Melissa Fabos. Yeah, yeah. So I was reading that and thematically, you know, I think what she's writing, what you write about is so helpful to women who have daughters, so helpful to women who don't have daughters, who are just out there in the world and contextualize and make sense of their experiences. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Melissa's. You know, one of the major themes in the book is female relationships. At one point, I was thinking about a lot of the essays have a woman's name in them or they deal specifically with a female friendship, whether it be a friend from high school or somebody that I've never met, a famous woman that meant something to me or my mother. And... I think that, you know, a lot of the inspiration for writing these essays was thinking about conversations I've had with really close female friends in like very vulnerable moments and how much women don't do that um, and how much we're taught to compete with each other and define ourselves as separate or different than other women. And um, that's one of my hopes for the book is that it encourages women to talk about the shared experience of what it's like to be a woman in, in our culture. I also love the themes of complexity around being a woman and how it isn't just one thing or two things. There's so many things. I remember being really young and being introduced to Camille Paglia. And I, you know, I had a few friends when I was younger that were exotic dancers. And I used to go with them to the clubs. I used to drive with them. We grew up in Boston. And if they would go to do a club in Rhode Island or New Hampshire or whatever, and of course, they needed a friend to go along to be safe, right? Not have to make the journey alone. And I used to sit backstage in the club or even out front with a little book light. And I used to just read Camille Paglia. And I used to like to think of my friends up on stage as empowering themselves, you know, because so much of it sort of bothered me. And she really opened my point of view. I knew that these women felt empowered up on the stage, but I, you know, 17-year-old girl, I did not know how to articulate that. I didn't know how to sort of organize those thoughts in a way that made sense to me. It was just confusing. And I remember reading her writings and thinking, oh, put in this context makes complete sense. It isn't a contradiction. It is, in fact, these women feel empowered by this act and they're in control. They have the power. And so the evolution of all this feminist writing over the last 30 years, you are now a contributor to those important feminist works. And I hope you feel really proud of what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's complicated, right? It's nuanced. And that's sort of what the book is trying to get at. Um, of course, my career and the power that I have as a famous woman who has commodified and sexualized my body and image and, you know, become famous and made money off of that. That's a way of gaining power. But I also think that it's within the confines of a very specific world where ultimately the reason that I've gained that power is because I appeal to men 
And that's the same thing with exotic dancers, with sex workers. And in some ways, I think all women on some level know how to either use or hide their sexuality. Um, I think you can like run either way to gain some power. But I do think that it's complicated because ultimately we aren't in control completely. Yeah, no, we're not. The other piece of your writing that I really love is the photography getting stolen and a book being made and the images sold in an art gallery. Was that the cut essay that you wrote or New York Magazine? Yeah, it was actually inside of my book proposal and New York Magazine took it out and like I was about to sell the book and then they printed that piece and it also ran online in the cut. And I was really pleased that they chose that essay because it's one of the longer ones in the book. And typically magazines, especially online, like they're thinking about how quick they can make the read so that people stay with it. And they chose a pretty complicated piece. So I was very happy about that. And it's in the book as well. Yeah, I was reading something about... Maybe it was Lisa Renna from Real Housewives of Beverly Hills used a paparazzi image. And I think this is similar. She used a paparazzi image maybe on her Instagram Mm -hmm. and she's being sued for it. It just it's infuriating the idea that an image is taken of you. And if you want to use it, you can't but they can use it. Yeah, and that's what that essay deals with. I start with the experience of being packed and actually trying to cover my face with some flowers and then posting the image to sort of make a comment about my relationship to the paparazzi and hiding behind this giant vase of flowers. And then I talk about my experience with Richard Prince. He has a series called Instagram Paintings where he comments on somebody's Instagram and then prints them on large-scale canvases and, you know, learning that this image that I had posted was, you know, being sold for $80,000 in an art gallery and trying to procure one of the images and having some issues with my ex-boyfriend about ownership of who gets the image. And then, of course, the situation with the photographer that I shot with when I was very young, an unknown model, who then, when I had sort of made a name for myself, published a book called Emily Ratajkowski and actually published, I think, three of the books and also had an art gallery and an art show showing the works. And actually, even my iCloud hacking, which I also cover in that essay. So lots of moments of, you know, my image being my livelihood and, you know, in some ways like weird, like other Emily's floating out in the world is sort of the feeling I have that I just don't have control over and no way of capitalizing off of even. Yeah, it really drives me nuts. How do you deal with it? Is your writing cathartic enough? Well, it's, you know, interesting. You're talking to me right before the book is going to be published. And it's been frustrating because there have been some leaks of some of the kind of narratives, but like cut down into these tiny little clickbaity headlines that are like oversimplifications of what I'm trying to get at in these pretty, you know, nuanced and I hope thoughtful essays that, you know, watching just kind of the internet be like, oh, well, that's what that means um, without reading the piece has been really hard. And another example of me sort of like losing control, not just are these media outlets breaking the embargo to kind of have their moment to shine. So then I'm not controlling the timing of the narrative 
I'm also just not even, the, the book isn't out yet. So I'm waiting for people to be able to read these words. And it's been pretty frustrating and I'd say sad for me. But again, I'm hoping that what happened with New York Magazine, which was really exciting and so rewarding, was people read this 7,000 word essay and like were able to understand the complexities and, you know, the ways I've been complicit, the ways that I, you know, have been taken advantage of, all those things. And, you know, there was like thought-provoking conversations around these subjects. And I'm hoping the same thing happens when the book is available, that people will have that same response. But right now it feels like another reminder of how little control I do have over my image and the narrative and just you know, we're living in really weird times. <laughs> we really are. It takes so much courage to put yourself out there. And you're really being an amazing example of that by doing all of these things. Thank you. You know, your fashion line, your modeling career, you're a mom, you're a wife, if you choose to throw that in as a job. <laughs> and certainly dog mom. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> totally. In writing. You know, taking the time to write all of your experiences, which of course is cathartic, but it's really a generous act, I feel, to take all your experiences, which you very well could keep to yourself. You're choosing to put them down on paper and give them to the world so that other girls can read your experiences, can read your thoughts, can make their own decisions and create their own ideas of how they want to move through the world. It's such a great transition. Thank you. Not that you're just going to transition only to writing, but I'm really glad you're doing it, I guess is my point. And of course, we do different things, you know, you and I, some of the same things. But as women, you have to find a balance between making a living and navigating fame. And then, as you say, you know, you definitely you have a target on your back because of that. And that's okay, right? Not everyone is going to support you or like you. And you sort of have to take, you put yourself out there. You have to accept that people are going to take shots, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you have to have a bit of toughness and thick skin to even be in this situation. But, you know, it isn't so easy all the time. I think people, you know, look at models specifically and say, oh, you know, she's so gorgeous and she's got this perfect life. And it's just the emotional toll that it takes to have a public image is great, I think. Some days you may feel stronger. Some days I feel stronger. Shit can roll off my back easier. And other days I just feel like pounded to the ground, you know? Yeah, it is hard because, you know, a lot of people have said to me like, oh, you're so brave for putting out this book. And I'm like, do you mean stupid? <laughs> like, um, do you actually mean stupid? <laughs> because it's like, yeah, I want this thing to be received in total and whole. But of course, that's just not the culture we live in now. People want to, you know, like see a headline and read something in 30 seconds and then they have an opinion about, or not even 30, 15 seconds. And then they tweet about something and, you know, we just have this really like black and white, things are either good or bad. You're on this person's side or not this person's side. And it's just constant, the news cycle. So I'm hoping that by writing this book, and the reason I chose that medium of writing essays is because I think it's the only space where you can really tell your story fully. So I'm hoping that that is sort of what comes out of it in the long run. I think it's fantastic and a must read. I think every female and every male, you know, we're raising sons. And I always 
try to really keep a focus on how do I raise my son to be a feminist? It's so important. And how do I raise him to embrace emotion, not Mm -hmm. see emotion as a sign of weakness, but a sign of strength? And so I recommend this book to everyone. There's really, really important thoughts and concepts and ideas in all of it. Thank you. That's so nice. I think it would actually make a great class, a college course. You should teach it (laughs) at NYU, something possibly. But concepts around feminism and your experiences specifically, which are just consistently your image exploited. And then, you know, you talk about your participation in it, right? Mm -hmm. We all get to make a living. And rather you than, you know, we see these men who owned Victoria's Secret, who profited off the bodies of women and the imagery Mm -hmm. of women. And so they're not at fault for doing it, but somehow you are. Mm -hmm. Somehow it's not okay for you to capitalize off your own image and exploit your own image, but it's okay for all the men to do it. And, you know, the laws sort of uphold, whether it's a gallery showing, whether it's a published book for sale, for some reason, it's all acceptable for them to do. But let's criticize you. Let's rip apart the shit that you say. And it just makes no sense to me. Like, I just don't see men taking these kind of shots. Do you? I mean, I think that in general, we're sort of always asking women to adjust rather than asking our culture as a whole to adjust. So, you know, we expect women to not capitalize off of their bodies. And it's like, well, I would never tell a young girl that she shouldn't model. How dare I tell somebody not to model when I've had financial success, I've had fame, a lot of things that, you know, have made my life really secure. I would never tell a woman not to do that. That being said, I also think that hopefully she'll read my book and know kind of the cost of that and, you know, what comes with it, which is complicated. So I guess what I feel, and I write about this in the book, is that I feel like women are constantly being asked to adjust, like whether it be to dress sexier or less sexy or to act a certain way or to say this thing or do this thing. And even women criticize other women for the ways that they handle sort of the world and how they present themselves. And I think that's just so ridiculous. And I I do think Gen Z really understands that in a way that even millennials didn't, which is like with the rise of OnlyFans and whatever, like it's a very sex positive, like there's no shame. And, you know, even like the quote unquote gold digger stereotype, like this is just the reality of our world. Like how can you tell a woman not to try to succeed in this world. But yeah, I just do think that it's a shame that we are constantly kind of checking girls and very young women and telling them to adjust rather than saying like, what's going on with our culture? I mean, Brittany is a perfect example of that, right? For sure, for sure. One of the important themes in the book that I took away is how do you think about these things? How did you think about this? Why do you make these judgments? Why do you see these images and think something? You have the freedom of alternative thought. You could think about this situation in a completely different way. What's making you choose to think about it this way? What's making you choose to be judgmental? I don't know. I love the idea of rethinking things that you think. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I think when I was younger, I had a really like clear political stance that really was in a lot of ways protective and defensive and maybe defiant. And my politics have evolved. And that's what was the sort of source of inspiration for so many of these essays wasn't like, oh, I'm going to write about X, Y and Z experience. It was like, why do I think the things that I think now? 
and what are the experiences that have led me to like my evolution and my politics and, and my ideas. The idea of evolution and reinvention is something that is very inspiring to me as a creative person. And I have this piece of art and it's the most beautiful color red with black letters on it. And it's a conversation that Mark Jacobs had with Richard Prince. Mark Jacobs, when he took over the house of Louis Vuitton, he was terrified and said, you know, how do I breathe life into this iconic house? Like I've been brought here to revitalize this, to make it fresh, to make it new. How do I do that? And he had a series of conversations with Richard Prince about how to do that. And a French artist by the name of Claire Fontaine took these excerpts from this conversation and printed them on giant canvases. And it's one of my favorite pieces I own. And it's about, you know, reinvention is invention. Just because you're reinventing something doesn't mean it doesn't deserve the full credit of being completely invented because it's just as hard to reinvent something as it is to think of something anew. And that's what the painting says. Me having been on a TV show for 18 seasons and having to constantly recreate these stories and how do we keep this show fresh? How do we keep it new? And what's within our scope of being able to make it fresh and new? How do we keep reinventing the wheel? How do I keep using this as an experience to grow? How can I mm -hmm. use this to take me further? So reinvention is like a big theme for me for my life. I think it's a great theme. I wish everyone had that a theme of their life. I mean, you want people to evolve. You want them to change and to grow. That's like the beauty of life. For sure. So you also have a fashion line. Are you doing that right now? Or Yeah, I'm actually at my office, which is really exciting. Um, my baby and my very big dog are here. And yeah, it's been a really interesting journey. I mean, what you were saying earlier, and I, again, write about this in the book, like my experience was working for other people. And like, I've always sort of been in a quest for control. And one of the ways that I've carved out some control has been through having my own business and working with people I like, working with a lot of young women and having this creative outlet, but also, you know, being my own boss, which is so much better than working for some guy in a suit who I make 4% off whatever product I'm pushing or, you know, whatever. And so I'm not into the sort of girl boss feminism, but I have found that this has been a really satisfying way for me to have control. Nice. My husband is in the garment business also, and it's a challenging business also. Do you find it challenging or you love all the ups and downs? It's totally challenging. Honestly, for me, the main thing, again, going back to control, being to be able to delegate because, for example, I mean, I was writing the book for three and a half years and then I had a baby and now I'm publishing the book and on top of it, continuing to model and, you know, do fashion week and do shows and shoots. And that's another source of income. So I basically like have many, many things going on and and having to sort of say like, okay, this was my baby that I loved. You know, I used to run the Instagram myself up until just a couple of years ago and finding people that I can trust to be in charge and just come to me and have different ideas. And then I say, yes, no, whatever. That's been challenging, especially. I mean, before I was you know, it was just me and my friend and we were literally pick and packing ourselves, and like sending out bikinis from her apartment. And now we have like a nice office and some amazing employees. So that part of it was challenging. Now I'm sort of at a different place, which is like big picture, dividing my time, learning to delegate all that stuff. 
Yeah, I have a lot of side hustles as well, this being one of them. And it's good creatively to grow and learn new things, but it definitely sometimes can feel overwhelming, I'm sure. Yeah, it's just time in the day. And, you know, I do spread myself pretty thin. And, you know, sometimes I get a little freaked out that like, if these are all kind of my children that I'm neglecting something when I'm doing another thing. But certainly the thing that I found the most rewarding has been writing the book and writing in general. So, you know, and this having an Emirata also has a lot of creative aspects, but ultimately it's a business. And I really like to talk about ideas. And that's what writing a book has allowed me. So, you know, you said transition in the beginning. You were like, I know you're not going to only do it, but in some ways I feel like I kind of hope it ends up being the only thing I do. I would love to write more books and continue doing this. Oh, I think you definitely should. I read everything you write all the time. So that's good that you know that. That's a satisfying ending to this specific book is that you know you want to do it again. Yeah. I mean, wait, you have to check in with me in a month once (laughs) the book is published. I've been saying that to everyone. I'm like, so far, it feels pretty good. But I also have said to people, like, maybe I got to try fiction because it's really difficult to write personal essays that are so revealing and so vulnerable and then talk about them a lot. And I'm, I'm really grateful for that. But like, I both really enjoy it and also feel really exhausted and like freaked out and scared and how my words can be twisted and whatever. And so we'll see. I don't know. I wonder after this if I'm going to need like a break from writing or if I'm going to switch to fiction or if I'm just going to go right into another one. I don't know. I love the idea of switching to fiction. I mean, see what happens and pivot. I didn't know that you were born in London. Yeah. And you moved to the United States at what age? My mom was teaching there. So I came back when I was two weeks old. But I'm really a California girl. I'm from North County, San Diego, this little town called Encinitas. Right. And then you moved to New York City when? I moved to New York when I was 21. And I then was kind of bi-coastal and then kind of back and forth, like more New York, more LA, really more California-based until this last year when I had my son. Yeah. How's New York looking? I haven't really been back a lot. I usually go to New York a few times a year and I haven't really been back. How is it looking? New York is thriving. I was here when the first lockdown happened. And I think it was this collective experience that the city went through and the resilience that everyone felt in making sure that it came back was so strong. And I sort of was saying that to somebody who lives in LA. I was like, I just don't know if LA survived the pandemic. It just, you know, I've always found out California, especially Los Angeles, you have to get everywhere by car. It can be really isolating. And then in COVID, when everyone was spending so much time in their homes, it like, it just became even more that way. Whereas New York feels, even during the height of the pandemic, you could step outside and, you know, walk around and get a sense of like, okay, I'm in a city, I'm with people. There was something that made you feel connected to a larger thing. And yeah, I just like, I really want to raise my son here opposed to LA. I mean, I wrote most of the book here. Like at one point I was trying to write in California and it was pretty hard for me. Like, I don't know, something about the kind of like get up and go nature, feeling like you need to get outside here really kicks my ass and makes me more productive. For sure. I definitely always felt that about New York City. And then I settled into Los Angeles at a certain point and the energy of New York City actually made me anxious. Mm -hmm. I don't know what happened, why that switch was. 
But it's similar to like after 9-11, right? Like the city had this overwhelming feeling of connectivity and like everybody was working toward the greater good and everyone had been through something traumatic. And New York City always has the ability to sort of find that vibe, Mm -hmm. that like we all went through something crazy vibe. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else we want young women to know? I mean, I think that the book speaks for itself in some ways, and I just hope that people read it. And it's thought-provoking. Like, I say this in the introduction, you know, I don't have a lot of conclusions or ideas that I'm like, this is my philosophy, this is what this means about how we should proceed. It's more about really investigating ideas that I can't help but return to time and time again. And that's all I really want from this book is for young women to think about the experience of being a woman And while my position has been really unique and peculiar, I think that, you know, especially some of the stuff that I write about with early childhood and girlhood, like hitting puberty at 11 and, you know, men like kind of looking at me and people telling me to dress differently when I was like 12 and didn't even know what sex was because I had boobs. Like those are experiences that are so complicated because... It's also really fun to be the hot girl in middle school, you know, but you also feel embarrassed and shameful. And I feel like that has kind of been my experience like throughout my life, which is there's all these rewards to commodifying your image and your body, but there's also, it's complicated. (laughs) So yeah. It's complicated and it's nuanced, but I think the best thing about it is not only your courage in telling your stories of which there are many, all valuable lessons in all of them. But you also have a nuanced point of view. You know, you're not sort of dictating how you should feel about what I'm writing. You're really explaining your part of it. Yeah. This is how I felt about it. Yes, of course, Mm -hmm. I was profiting off my body. Of course, I found a way to hustle and to get a career out of my body. But these things are nuanced and complicated. Women everywhere, it doesn't matter whether you're a lawyer, whether you work on Wall Street, whether you work in medicine, you know, sexism in, in medicine is a huge problem. We learn very early as young women that our femininity is our currency. Mm-hmm. And I think it's responsible and truthful and courageous to take responsibility for our part in that. Totally. It's not often done, you know, to say, I was using what other people use. I empowered myself by using it to my advantage. You know, it's nuanced. And I think it's tough shit to speak about. And I think you're an incredibly intelligent, brave person. Thank you. And bravery, in my opinion, is as important as intelligence. And again, I think that this book is crucial for boys to read as well, for young men to read as well, for grown men to read as well, because it will just make you rethink things you think you know. This book will really, I think for men, make you reflect on why you hold the ideals you hold. I mean, there's a biological piece that exist to to the way men behave and the way they think. And, you know, I'm I'm not going to give men the same credit. Women have, I I think, here's the soundbite, higher (laughs) intellectual capacity for complexity of thought. I think men are more the hunter gatherers, right? They just grunt and sort of grab shit. You know, they're not, they're not, they're not really known known for their brains as much as they are known for their physical strength. Um, 
But I do think it's a very important book that you've written. And I really enjoyed this time talking to you and connecting with you. Oh, me too. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm honored to be your guest. Thanks so much. Kiss that baby for me. Oh, I will. Going to right now. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. And thanks so much again. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. 